HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by Henry's Wine and Spirit. This week on Meet and 3, I'm about to go on maternity leave. This is Katie Mosman-Wadler, and before I leave you in the incredibly capable hands of Team HRN, we're rounding out Season 5 with a deep dive into the food rules, weird cravings, and overall hype about eating while pregnant. There are a lot of safe foods to eat, and we shouldn't be sort of assuming that just because something is raw that it's dangerous. I just found myself feeling like there was an alien piloting my body and brain and uh, totally changed the way that I ate. So was it the eggplant? Sure. Why not? I just don't know. Tune in to this week's episode of Meet and 3 anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'll be back soon with our newest and tiniest producer in tow. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection between food and grief with your hosts, Zara Tangora. And her mother, Bobby Conforto. <laughs> You're cute. How'd you get so cute? Uh, huh? Did you just get a cute package of cuteness in the mail? Well, I feel cute with you. Oh, well, I think you're I enjoy being, cute. spending time with you. I enjoy spending time with you too, Mom. Uh, how was your week? Well, one of the highlights of the week was walking around um, Brooklyn with you. Yes. Your neighborhood. That was lovely. And we were walking around Cobble Hill, mm-hmm. and we ended up in Shelskis. Yep, we did. That is really interesting, because today on the show, we have the owner of Shelskis, Peter Shelsky. Um, that was a wonderful thing. Uh, we were kind of bopping around, deciding what to do, what to eat. We kind of didn't feel like sitting down, because it was an oddly nice day out. Um, and so we walked into Shelskis, and we got a tuna fish sandwich. With? With pickles and tomato, which was your idea. It was so, that's a good combo, don't you think? And then we shared a ginger ale. We which shared we a haven't had freaking so ginger ale. Yeah. And we had potato chips. I don't know what came yeah. over us. It was fun. It was fun. And it was really a nice part of the day. So Peter Shelsky, 
owner of Shelsky's Appetizing and De- Delicatessen, uh, really has a vast knowledge of all foods. He has been in the restaurant industry for a long time and has owned Shelsky's, I believe, since 2011. Um, he is an amazing guy, a warm and friendly guy, yes. someone who really loves to talk about food. We kind of developed a friendship while I owned Brucey, which was down the block, and we used their smoked salmon and a variety of our different mm. daily changing dishes. Um, and we just, over the years, have got to, you know, shooting the shit. We just talk about food and he gives me his recommendations and I follow him on his personal Instagram and he is constantly posting like this, these amazing meals that he makes for his family with his daughters. I was really always also taken by his very uh, political chalkboards that he has outside of the shop that somehow always relate to being anti-Trump and pro smoked fish. So (laughs) I mean, I was, he had me at hello. Um, Anyway, Peter's a great guy, and we had an amazing conversation, a little different than we do normally here. Yeah. He was almost like an expert that we had in, right? Yes, that's right. What do we talk about this with him? We talked about Shiva. Yeah, Shiva. And his famous saying. You're Shiva, we deliver, mm-hmm. which is the title of the episode. Yeah. But he had, he was very experienced. He had delivered many Shivas. Yeah. And uh, he also, was, um, his background is that he had in his own family been to Shivas. Yes. So he really had a lot to share, and I think it's an important subject in terms of how people um, not celebrate but honor yeah death and how and the rituals it's a wonderful and interesting ritual and we yes. really did a pretty deep dive into it and yeah. i found it very informative and very interesting and i laughed i cried i had a ball it's true so please enjoy our interview with peter shelsky Peter and I know each other from around the from around the way in the neighborhood. I used to own Brucey, which was up the block, and Peter owns Shelsky's on Court Street, and then also the Bagel Shop, which is on Fourth Avenue. Yes, cool. Um, and you know, we always kind of talk about food and talk shop. And you're just a gregarious, nice, fun guy. And I've been wanting to oh, get thanks. you on one of these shows for a while. Yeah, I've been wanting to do it for a while. Yeah. So I'm happy to be here. Yeah, yeah, cool. So, mom, you got a letter this week from someone that you know, yes. and uh, thought maybe if you want to start by reading the letter, and then maybe we can get into talking uh, about Shiva. Good. I'd love to do that. Great. So the letter reads: Dear folks at Processing, first, I am so glad to learn of your podcast. I am a recent widow. My husband died this past summer, and I am still reeling in disbelief, emotions, and uncertainties. I heard about your podcast through my friend, who is a retired chef. She knows that I have always loved cooking and talking about food, something we often do together. She has been a big help to me through these months because she helped me in those first few weeks by helping with the funeral, shiva, and my days of paralysis, as I call it, when I couldn't do anything that I used to do to care for myself. In the months that followed my husband's death, I began to defrost, and my friend Julie brought over food magazines that we would look at together, and slowly my interest in cooking began to come back. Then she would shop for me, and we would cook together, which was really such a big help. Recently, another one of our friend's husbands died, and I felt a renewal of my strong grief feelings, and certain memories came back of the death, funeral, and early days in my grief. We are Jewish, and the whole Jewish grief thing started to come back in my awareness the funeral home service, the burial, the meal of consolation for my immediate family which followed the service, and the shiva which took place at my home for seven days after the funeral. It's still a blur, but when I had to go to my friend's house for her shiva time, it all came back. Some things were like a nightmare and other things were so comforting. My friend Julie had sent someone to my home during the funeral to get a lunch ready so we could, when we got back, our family could eat something and regroup. 
It was so nice not to have to worry about it and feel so taken care of. That night, I knew all kinds of people from my life and my husband's and my kid's life would be descending on my house. I was panicking. Where were the bathrooms? I mean, were they clean? What would we serve? What would everybody do? What was expected of me? I felt so tired and weak and didn't want to see anyone. I just wanted to go to bed. Julie said that she would take care of it all. She said she had lots of experience in her own family with the Shiva and that along with some other friends, they would help us get through this overwhelming time. They sent out the word and put a message on the answering machine and a sign on the door that had the hours that we would be receiving guests. I knew there were certain customs and rituals that we had to follow. A tear in our sleeves, low stools to sit on, covering the mirrors, and food, lots of Jewish-style foods. What I remember is a constant stream of faces, some familiar, some not. Most people were lovely and calm. Some looked at me with that pathetic, pitying face that I hated. I don't like to be the center of attention. It was so hard. I was sensitive to people talking too loud or asking me too many questions. Over and over, how are you with that tilted head? How do you think I am, I thought to myself. In the end, Julie and my friends did it all. They cleaned, hosted, protected me, helped me take care of myself, fed me, kept me from crashing. I realized that first week of their support was like a cushion. I have crashed many times since, but I would have cracked that first week if it hadn't been for their, them there to soften the blow. Your podcast is very interesting to me as a person who is so deeply grieving. I am able to help others a little now because of my experience. Talking about it is so important. Thanks for spreading the word that we all need to help each other. Wow. That is really a sweet and very honest letter. Um, and I think kind of just wraps up, uh, sums up the grieving process, right? It's part it does. sweet and part like, get out of my face. And like, yeah. you don't know how it, to It, it gives a whole lot of insight yeah. that, that I don't yeah. think, you know, someone in my position, you know, selling food for these things mm. sees that part of it. I mean, we, we know what we're offering, but we, we don't know what we're offering. Yeah. Really. And I think that that offers a, a great deal of insight. Do you, so what's it like when somebody comes to your store and orders for a shiva? Um, so mostly it is friends and, and family. Right. It's, it's usually not, you know, not the, the not the spouse or, right. or, or the kids. Um, usually sometimes right. it, sometimes it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and often because we're, you know, a pretty tight community, um, we'll get several phone calls from people who are going, you know, wanting to buy things for the Shiva. Or for the same family. Um, for the same family. Right. So then uh. we, you know, we have to guide them so they're not getting too much of one thing. That's and, a good point. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. There, there's a lot of, when, when non-Jews call, the question is always, you know, I don't, I don't know what to, what to get, what's right. Right. And, and the same way there's no right or wrong thing to say because nobody knows what the right That's thing exactly. to say is. Right. Um, you're just giving something, and mm-hmm. and um, that's that's really enough. Uh, you know, I, I I like to guide people into giving something sweet. Uh-huh. Um, I think sweetness always always sort of the flavor sort of you know lends itself to the emotion. Um, so I, I try to guide them that way. But like what? What would you? Um, a sweets platter of rugelach uh-huh. and, and babka and honey cake and Yum. and coconut macaroons. Um, sugar, you know, sugar puts a smile on your face. Yeah, it does. Um, and, and, you know, that tends to help. 
Interesting. So do you feel like when the widow or the children do come in and you know that you're interacting with them, does it feel like, uh, you know, there are some moments actually we talked about uh, a short story recently called A Small Good Thing, a Raymond Carver story. It was about a baker and, you know, he had, do you, are you familiar with the story? No. He has like an altercation with the family because the family orders food and then they don't come pick it up because their son actually had died. And so, but then at the end he ends up making them some, some biscuits or, uh, and then it's, he's basically telling them everyone needs a small good thing. And so it's like a nurturing right. thing. It's mm-hmm. a story of nurturing from right. someone who provides food in, in the restaurant. And even still, I experience that. Do you feel either when, like, particularly I would think maybe when the family comes in, is there a feeling of, like, intense connection via nurturing? Or does it it's, stop at the... It's definitely... And it's what's interesting is that it's something that my mother gave me through her cooking. It's... it's you know, we feed we feed to nurture people, yeah. right? There was a uh, I keep getting this ad on on Instagram for for uh, Thomas Keller's masterclass, uh-huh. and 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 he says that one day a French chef told him that cooks cook to nurture people, yeah, and and that is absolutely more true with with the with the shiva arrangements mm-hmm. than than anything else. Um, we had a, a lady came in uh, last week um, that her husband had passed away, and she was ordering for her for her own Shiva and she, you could tell she was just dizzy from everything going on. Um, and so, you know, we walked her through it and, and did everything. And, and, uh, my wife had pointed out, uh, I guess one of her coworkers saw on a local blog that the woman had posted about her experience at Shelsky's and, and, you know, it's, really rare in this business as you know <laughs> to hear people say good things about you they go out of their way to say all the bad <laughs> stuff stuff um so it was it was really nice to to see that we treated that situation well because you rarely get that feedback 100 percent, and yeah. i think that you know it's really easy to get caught up in that other part right and not just yeah. like the bad you know criticisms from customers which you know i'm sure are infrequent for you because you have a great place but they happen to everyone um, but, you know, just the other stuff, the broken pipes, the month of business that can be slow, the, you know, construction that, that's going on in front, the employees that don't show up, you know, it's all of that stuff. It happens all the time. Well, it's everybody like, needs affirmation. Right. But, and I think, you know, an affirmation of being like, hey, your place is really great is wonderful. But, yeah. but being afforded the opportunity to care for someone in their worst time. It makes a huge difference. It's amazing. The, I mean, the Shiva actually makes you slow down. When, when I get to offer that to someone, it makes me feel like a human being again. Right. Um, not just a, a grunt worker, um, which is what, <laughs> unfortunately what most of my <laughs> life business, is like right? these days. I know. Um, yeah. So it, it, it does afford that opportunity, yeah. um, which, you know, is, is nice. Um, you feel like you're making a difference in somebody's life when their life is so hard and so Difficult. It is. I mean, we, we try to have we try to have levity in these situations. Um, you know, it's 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 not always easy, and it depends. It's situational. It depends on on the person that's talking to us. Um, you know, we we sell T-shirts that say "Your Shiva, We Deliver." Ah, oh, I'm them. kidding. That's that, so, that, I love that, it. that my mother actually came up with when <laughs> I, I was I was running around making deliveries, and my last one was a Shiva. So she's like, "What are you up to?" I said, "Ah, I'm making deliveries. I got a Shiva." She's like, "Well, your Shiva, We Deliver." I said, "Well, that's got to go on a T-shirt." <laughs> that's amazing. Um, and 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 we sell those four to one over all our other shirts. That's amazing. Um, which is amazing. People people like that. Yeah. You know, why had one woman came in? I, we put it on our A-frame chalkboard sign one day. Mm. And I had a woman came in and, and got in my face and yelled at me about oh, really? it. Really? Don't you know what our people wonder? I was like, oh. yeah. And and a week later, another woman came in because I had the sign out uh, again, and and she said, I, I lost my husband three weeks ago, and that sign was the first time I've smiled. Smile. It, it just made me chuckle, and 
you know, it's, it's, it's nice to be able to do that for somebody. It it really is. And you're also really, it is worth mentioning that you're very bold with your signs. (laughs) I am. I I love it. Every time I walk by and I see an anti-Trump thing that you've tied into smoked fish. (laughs) Wait until you see tomorrow's sign. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait. It's great. Don't spoil it. Actually, it's going to rain tomorrow, which really, it's a bummer. I know. It's terrible. Literally rain on our parade. Um, No, but it's, it's important. And I think just actually taking a step like that to make you know bring some levity and joy into the grieving process is really bold and really necessary and i think very something that is very i don't know typical of jewish culture i mean we're we are jewish by heritage i mean we're not practicing i think similarly to you we don't you know practice and go to a temple but we're jewish you know in our i have a pig tattooed on my own yeah <laughs> that's true <laughs> <laughs> But um, it's a kosher pig. There right? is something I think. I think it personally. Tell me what you guys think. I think it comes from uh, centuries and and millenniums of uh, survival and needing to survive. And I think when you are part of a persecuted group of people, you find a way to get through it. And with humor, with food, with celebrating through things that are really shitty, because how else? You know what I mean. Uh, and I think lots of different persecuted cultures and groups of people. Um, do that in their own way, and I think sure. Jews definitely do, and I think they do it with celebration through food, definitely. Exactly. Well, my my, I remember my mother got me a Hanukkah card one year, and uh, it said Hanukkah is not really a major holiday, but it's got the same theme as all other Jewish holidays. They tried to kill us, we survived. Let's eat. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so. so yeah, well, Bobby's mo- my grandma and Bobby's mother was a Holocaust survivor, and she was just the most joyous person and other she loved to celebrate and she knew how to do it perfectly and beyond being a Holocaust survivor. I, I wish we had her picture here now. Yeah. We have it all over my house. It's a picture for her ninetieth birthday. Beautiful, beautiful woman holding a glass of wine, toasting. Yeah. And that was her. Yeah, that was her. You know? Yeah. That's awesome. And I think yeah. a lot of yeah. I think it's indicative of the Jewish culture. But I thought it was interesting about this letter was when she said, I don't want to be pitied. Yes. And that everybody, and she called the tilted heads. Oh, that's, and you can see right? it. You yeah. know exactly yeah. what she's talking oh, about. Yeah. yeah. You know, and. How are you? Yeah. Oh, exactly. you know. Right. And it's hard because people want to, people feel uncomfortable, which is actually a big reason why we're doing this podcast, because yes. people feel uncomfortable in the face of grief. And you don't know how to act to the other person. Yes, the tilted heads is annoying, but the head tilter themselves is also probably not well versed because grief and death is something that we really like shy away from facing in this culture. And this country right. you know we aren't like fully embracing it we don't do death meditation like they do in other cultures right. we don't have the grandparents laid out in the house like we used to a hundred years ago you know what i mean so i think that's part of the tilted head thing to be fair to the ted head exactly. tilter exactly we're a death denying society we are a death denying yeah. society yeah. so it's hard to know what to do but right. pity mm-hmm. is also my father tells a story about a friend that he had that used to laugh at funerals because he <laughs> didn't know what else to do. It was like yeah. a nervous tick. Sure. And, and right. um, you know, kind of sucked for the people around <laughs> it. Can you imagine? I like, bet. Yeah. Like, Dude, stop. Yeah, that's terrible. What are you doing? Um, Peter, I have a question. Do yeah. you have any personal experiences with Shivas that you've been a part of, either a family member or like a close friend that you can talk about? Um, I, family member, the last Shiva I went to was my grandmother's. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she was 99 when she passed mm-hmm. away. Wow. Um, and I was actually the last one that got to spend a few minutes with her before. So, um, it was really meaningful. Um, it's interesting. I, I don't have memories of that Shiva that mm-hmm. nothing sticks out 
from that shiva. How old were you? Uh, this was not that long ago. Um, I this was must have been five five years ago, okay. some four uh-huh. years ago maybe. Right. Um, you know, I I brought the food. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> obviously, as I as I do, um, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I did go to a shiva a couple of weeks ago. Oh. Um, one of my very close friends from college, his father passed away. Mm. And um, I, you know, drove down to all the way down by Long Beach Island. Oh, wow. <coughs> and and uh, brought, you know, platters of food. And I, and I got to see what the food did, yeah. so which tell was us. really cool. Just, it just lightens everyone up. It, 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 they're, they're, you know... I got hugs that were the deepest, biggest hugs ever. Um, and, and it's, it's something around which everyone could sit down and talk about good things about the celebration of, of this person's life. And, right. and this guy was by all accounts, a, I mean, a super mensch of a guy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, the stories that were told were, were, you know, they make you feel like, Oh man, I got to do better. Really? This, this, that kind of guy. That's yeah. incredible. Um, and, and I think the food, being around food makes people, you know, sort of celebrate and, and, and celebrate the life, which is what you're there to do at a yeah. shiva. You're not, you know, you're not there to, to you know, be down and, and depressed. You're there to raise the spirits of, of, of those who are in mourning and, and food is the big part of that. Yeah. yeah, it's really all about them. And, you know, part of the message of a shiva is to take care of the mourners, you know, emotionally, spiritually and nutritionally. And it's the concept that really, I, I don't know if it's in the Torah or where it's written, but it's, it's pretty much known that the mourners are not supposed to take care of anything. They're not supposed to worry about anything. They're not supposed to take care of anything. You know, their friends and family are there to support them through all the natural things of life. Yep. And um, some of the other concepts about Shiva is that um, besides the mourners not doing anything, that other people are taking care of them, is that um, very often the mirrors are covered and people are always wondering what that is. And part of it is that the mourners are not to worry about their own, not just vanity, but, you know, they don't have to shower if they don't want to, they don't have to dress if they don't want to, they don't have to worry about anything. Right, and it's so, also supposed to not be about any kind of personal thing, right? Exactly. So no vanity, no exactly. thinking of yourself, no looking at yourself. It's cool if your mascara is like <laughs> yeah, right, pouring exactly. down your face. Yeah, exactly. And they're supposed to sit on a, a, a lower stool, you know, and the purpose of that is to um, represent the deep grief, the depth of the grief. Um, there's a tear on their sleeve. They often either wear a torn piece of fabric or they tear actually their own sleeve, which is to show that, you know, the tearing of somebody from their life. So, you know, there's lots of ritual, and a, a sure. lot of it is about ritual. But most often it's really about the grievers and their being able to focus on their loved one. You know, it's a it's a group of people that come together and sometimes they haven't seen each other in a long while. So part of the the um, the mode is to not it's not a party and it's not meant that you're talking about your own family and how long it has been since you've seen them. You know, the real focus is on the, the mourners and the people who are there to grieve. And um, as we heard in that woman's letter she she at times she noticed that people were talking loud and it was disconcerting to her it was you know she was right. describing that it, she needed calm it was right. hard enough to have 100 people walk at her house mm-hmm. but if they were all telling stories and 
Because, yeah. you know, when you meet with people, all of a sudden the energy changes. Sure. So one of the other things that's important is, is to follow the lead of the person that's mourning. Sure. Mm. I learned this really wonderful quote some, uh, one day from a, a bereavement specialist. And he, he was talking about children, but it fits for everybody. And he said, you invite them to dance, but you let them lead. Ah. So what that really means is that, you know, you let them know you're available, but you let them lead the way as to what they need. Right. So sometimes there's silence. Sometimes you go there and this you don't have to start a story or say anything. You know, you just kind of follow their lead. Sometimes yeah. you're sitting in silence. Yeah. And sitting and being. And, and silence being. can be uncomfortable sometimes. Exactly. But, but, you know, you need to remind yourself that, again, you're there for that person. Exactly. And if that's if that's what's comfortable for them. Yeah. Exactly. As we're sitting here, I'm just thinking about locks. I really... As am I. Barely <laughs> stand it. I'm also thinking a lot about locks. What kind of foods do you normally... Deliver to a shiva. Um, we, <laughs> I like that. It's good. <laughs> um, you know, ba- bagels and, and smoked salmon and whitefish and uh, lots of lots of the sweets, the rugula, um, halva. Um, mm. Always always good to have halva. some halva. Some I have a chunk of halva in my freezer right now, left over from Thanksgiving. So we did a kind of Middle Eastern style Thanksgiving and I just pull, it's like a pretty big brick. Now it's actually much smaller, but I've been pulling it out of the freezer and uh, nibbling on it like a rat. Frozen. frozen. <laughs> yes. How is frozen? Hollow? It is. I mean, how could that be bad? I don't know why I'm delicious. asking. Yeah. It's delicious. It's so good. good. And we had it initially because we did a dish this Thanksgiving of roasted sweet potatoes with cardamom butter and halibut crumbled on top. Yummy. That sounds insane. It was so good. It was so good. That's a a halibut sidebar. So tell us what halibut is. Halibut is a... So actually many different cultures have halibut. There's there's Indian halibut. There's, you know, Jewish and and Middle Eastern halibut, which is basically the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is crushed sesame seeds all ground up and then... Mm -hmm compacted and pressed with sugar or honey or some mm-hmm. sweetening agent mm-hmm. um, and different flavors. There are, there's chocolate halva and mm-hmm. raspberry and white chocolate and lemon and pistachio. Yeah. And Get out of here. It. <laughs> um, it's really great stuff. Yeah. Um, halva is delicious. It's actually good if, if, if you're the kind of person that wants your shiva to be a silent shiva. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. makes your <laughs> you know mouth stick together and you know every, uh. everyone will shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so I've never been to a shiva before. No. Bobby, have you? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Did we have, did, was, there was not one when grandma passed away. No. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, I didn't want the attention. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Um, what is it? Have you ever been into one where you had to sit for the whole seven days? No. Cause no and one. Sometimes people do it for three days. Mm-hmm. You know, there's actually a process with family members where they're in the beginning, it's friends sitting shiva, but after that, they're doing prayers for a period of time. They're saying a Kaddish for a period of time. What's a Kaddish? A Kaddish is a prayer for the dead. Okay. So I, I was actually impressed. I couldn't oh. believe it that I that I remembered it because I haven't been to synagogue in like twenty, like thirty years. I mean, I, I right. you know I'm an atheist. I don't practice at all. Yeah. Um, but. <laughs> We're all I'm, cheering I'm, I'm, ra- I'm, ra- I'm raising two little you know atheist like <laughs> godless liberal children in Brooklyn. <laughs> That's very um, cool. <laughs> but. But I, when we were at this at the shiva um, a few weeks ago, and you know, there, we stood up and, and did the mourners' kaddish, and it just it all came back came to me, back. and I, yeah. you, you don't forget it. What does yeah. it mean? What are what is the prayer about? Do we you're, know? You're asking the wrong Jew. You're okay. asking the wrong Jew. Okay. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, any real Jews out there, please call us and let us know. But I do what know that people 
often go to temple after they have had a loss, uh -huh. and they will go for a period of 30 days. Um, if it's apparent, you have to go for, I think it's 11 months, and you go every day to time. say the Kaddish. Wow. You know, I have clients who have lost their children, and they do their own version of it. I mean, right. they may do it for three years. Sure. You know, however, but they want to say it. It's something they can do a few times a day. Right. It's, you know, we all have our own ways of praying, and it's a prayer for the dead. Right. The thing that I'm really compelled to about uh, Shiva and researching it more closely is that it really is, like, facing grief. Like head on, absolutely. It's saying like we're gonna do this. It's gonna be messy. You know, I was actually in preparation watching a, a movie that uh, it really wasn't great. A great movie, unfortunately. I really like Jason Bateman. Uh, he made a movie called This Is Where I Leave You, and uh, all the acting was great. Didn't work together. That being said, um, it was about sitting shiva. Oh, really? It was about a family that gets together and sits shiva and about everything. So they really like laid it out and the. Oh. the point of it was really great. It's like everyone's bringing their own shit to the table, but we're mm -hmm. going to sit here and we're going to face the pain and grief. We're going to spend time under this roof. And I think it's brave because, I, again, to come back to the point that I think societally we tend to run from death. From death. Yeah. We're scared of it when it happens. We're scared of talking about it before. And when it actually does happen, it's really easy. I mean, I lost my dad two years ago and I feel like um, I really had to force myself to face it head on, you know, um, because it's really easy to hide from it because it is actually just so, so painful. And uh, I really appreciated the message that the Shiva sends, like, of not running from it and yes. just sitting there and eating through it and being really, like, honoring somebody's life in that way, which also yes. is really fucking hard yeah. because grief is a time that you can become extremely self-involved. And the whole message of, like, you know, this is about remembering the person and uh, covering me. I, I like that. It's, but you do I think it with it's very healthy. And you do it with help of yeah, your friends. Community. L life is messy, isn't it? Yeah. Life sure is, is awfully and, fucking and, messy. And dealing with death is messy. Yeah. Death, death, death isn't messy. Yeah. Death, that's yeah. the clean part. Right. It's, it's, it's the, those of us that are still around that have to deal with it. Yeah. And, and I think you make a great point that, that Shiva is, is, is like that mess on display. Yeah, it's right? brave. It is. It's really it is. brave. And but Jews are, are brave people. But it's also cushioned. You know, you know, Zara. That's I, true. I, I have this thing called the turtle principle. And I learned this when I was working in hospice, for which I did for many years, 12 years. And I learned that people need to protect themselves, and then they stick their head out, and then they protect themselves. So I kind of like the turtle. And if you come in my office now, I have a hundred turtles because all my clients give me turtles. I never buy them, but they give me these turtles. Yeah. And it just represents that ability to face things, but then hide and comfort yourself and face things and hide. And I think Shiva is a little bit like that because, yeah. yes, everybody is aware of the death. They're talking about the person who died instead of not talking about them and like no one's saying anything and being afraid to say something. They're taking out albums. They're looking at pictures. They're telling That's stories. True. But then they're also eating rugula, and they're hugging each other, and they're, you know, so they, they're softening the blow. Like that woman said in the letter, she felt like it was a cushion. Shiva yeah. felt like a cushion. Yeah. And I thought that was lovely. I mean, I bet going back to what I was saying before about people who, I mean, I researched, I have researched a bunch of different death cult, uh, rituals in different cultures. And what I found is that the people who are most robust in their grieving process and that kind of make it a celebration and don't run from it and face it and either have these like in Puerto Rican culture or Dominican culture, they do these, 
big feasts that last for like a week long and everybody stays up for a week and their 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 pork is a lot better than yes that is true they do have a better (laughs) pernil but um i think it just you know i don't know i think there's something in there about folks who have had endured hardship and struggle are better at being able to really face what the hardest hardship ship and struggle which is death you know, and and I mean, some people, some folks are just more buttoned up than other folks, and that can be really in any culture. But I went to a neighbor's funeral when I lived in Carroll Gardens, and and I mean, he was he was an, an, an old man when he passed away, and and local Italian guy had lived in the neighborhood since mm-hmm. he was a, a, a kid, and it was at Scotto's funeral home back when Scotto's funeral home was a funeral oh home. Oh my god, I have a story about that after this. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and and it was an open casket thing and I, I it was the first and only open casket thing I've been to yeah because we're not used to that in the Jewish culture that is an understatement yeah it, it's uh, you know it's jarring for someone who's never mm-hmm. done it before I mean I don't know what it's like for somebody who has done yeah. it before yeah, I, it's, I agree I, I I can't wrap my head around that um but again yeah. People deal with it in in different ways, and they life do. is messy. And, <laughs> and if that's if that works for people, then then that's great. Totally. I mean, I was talking the other day to a friend. There's this woman who wrote um, a book. She she has a, a podcast called Ask Mortician, and she's a mortician. Uh, Caitlin Doherty. She's awesome. Cool. It's cool. Her books are cool, and she talks very openly about death and dying, and cutting open bodies, and picking up you know babies in a hearse, and all this kind of really intense stuff. And for her, it's just. It's every day. It's her life. It's her work. She does it every day. She's dead bodies every day. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And then I was like, you know, when my dad died, uh, I accidentally went into the room where his body was because they said it wasn't in there. And I saw his arm and he was under a sheet and it terrified me. It scared me so much. And I, it's one of the things that I wrestle with to this day is guilt around why didn't I just go in there and face my fear and and hold my dad's hand and spend the last minute and even thinking about doing it is terrifying to me. And then I was saying to the same friend, I was like, but I'm a chef and I have peeled the skin off of dozens of pigs' faces, maybe even hundreds because we used to make our own pork out of detesta. And in... (laughs) I wouldn't think for a second about breaking down a pig or peeling all the skin, including including its you know nose and ears off its face and looking in its eyeballs. It doesn't even bother me at all. But I think people just have these levels of what you know disturbs them. Well, in let's some talk way. about. Well, when it's someone you love, first of all, it's different. Absolutely. And I mean, yeah. exactly. If, you're if, absolutely if right. it was your pet pig, you might feel you're absolutely differently right. yeah, about yeah, yeah. that but too. But it's like talking yeah, about death right. denying culture in hospitals. They it's always been the thing people die in hospitals and they whisk away the body yeah you know part I, of i yeah. was i was yeah. a whisker wow. you were a whisker? i was a whisker i was yeah. when i <laughs> oh was oh my god you know how you need to do community service when yeah. you're when you're 15 or sure, 16 to sure. look good on your college yeah. transcripts and whatnot oh my i god. volunteered at new york hospital at new york cornell i did volunteered as an escort and <gasps> i bring people from their cat scans back to the rooms and this and that and a very regular part of my job was bringing Bodies to the morgue. At 15 years old? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it was pretty wild. They make noise. Oh, my God. You know, I've been in an elevator alone with multiple dead people. But you know what's so interesting? Like, why is that scary? But my point to bringing this up, that's what I want to say, is that my point to bringing this up is that in working in hospice, it's very different. Because I worked in home hospice. And the same with a, 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 a hospice facility. You have time to spend time with the person who's died after they die. Yeah. You could mm-hmm. spend the whole day with them. 
There's no requirement. And there's, well, it's not. I'm just kidding. It's I'm, not. I know, it's not funny. Because, <laughs> just, you know, sometimes you... No, it's not much. It's and everything what people is, do yeah. sometimes, and actually in the Jewish tradition, um, the body after it dies is bathed. There's a certain way yeah. of bathing it and clothing it uh, in preparation. Totally. But the family does it. Yeah. And that's a really beautiful it thing. Is. And it's so opposite of what the whisking, you know, yeah. sure. whisking away. Yeah. It's, I can't, I still can't believe you did, did that. Did you guys see the movie uh, The Farewell? Not yes. yet, but I can't wait. I did. Um, yes. it, it's interesting how dealt how death is dealt with, or at least how dying the process yes. of dying is, yeah. is is dealt with in, in that movie. Right. Um, and I, I heard all sorts of interviews on NPR mm. about it, and and um, how they hide hide dying from the dying. Exactly. Right. exactly. I'm, yeah, I did see the preview. So I know. What a yeah. shame! Oh, because nobody terrible. gets to talk about. It. I always remember yeah. I, when I first started working in this um, field. Uh, I was a chef, by the way, first, and then I became a social worker after that. Yeah, I know that. So um, my first job was at Stony Brook Hospital on the oncology floor, and I remember talking to this woman once, and she said to me, you know, I don't want you to tell my daughter that I'm dying. Please, please don't tell her. And then I met the daughter, and she said, please don't tell my mother that she's dying. Oh, my God. And I realized, now, it wasn't my job to tell either one of them, but it was my job to try to bring them together (laughs) so they could tell each other. Yeah, because what a loss! Otherwise, what a terrible loss Absolutely. not to have that time. You know? Absolutely, yeah. It's it's, yeah. it's interesting. And going back, we we were talking earlier about um, how the person who's mourning or the people who are mourning sort of really should be the ones. Sort of, we everyone should take their cues from them at at, at how it should go. I, yeah. I I don't know what that looks like. Um, I know that I know what I want my funeral and everything to look like what, um, it's a share? bummer that i'm not going to be there it's going to be <laughs> well you might awesome. be we, who knows um, tell us who knows tell us. um i i i want um i want a full orchestra and and inquired performing mozart's requiem that's amazing <laughs> and and um that's early, incredible at, at the very least the first movement yeah um <laughs> And and uh, I don't know the whole Viking funeral thing seems kind of oh, cool. Oh, that's amazing! That's incredible tradition of lighting someone on fire and pushing that. Into but the then sea. I can't be donated to to science, which I think is more important. Uh, that you know? is true. And what foods would be served at your funeral? Oh, I mean Chinese food. I mean, <laughs> yeah. which is that's uh, Jewish food essentially, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, right exactly. um, there would definitely be. It would, it would be a. a Chinese feast, and it would be at like a dim sum banquet hall. Ooh. You know. <laughs> I'm like finding myself <laughs> wishing for you to die. <laughs> hey, listen, we can, we can go eat Chinese food anytime you want. There's pretty much never a day where I don't want to eat Chinese food. Oh, um, maybe I'm maybe I'm actually more Jewish than I thought. This episode is presented by Henry's Wine and Spirit a go-to shop for anyone interested in natural wines and boutique spirits. There's a large selection of everything from orange wines, pet gnats, and reds from around the world. Whether visiting the shop in person or online, looking for a gift for a loved one, or that everyday dependable bottle, you're sure to find lots of interesting wines at Henry's. There's free shipping on orders over $300 on the website henrys.nyc and case discounts when you visit the store located in Bushwick. Cheers! As a hospice worker, I had um, somebody who was Native American in my, in my mm-hmm. uh, and we, in his dying, he asked to be rattled. So we had rattles, and we all moved around oh, him. Wow. And I was a social worker at the time, not a friend. 
And then the funeral was very interesting. It was, I guess, a traditional Native American funeral where they had three pyres mm. and one pyre, three fires, and this was in his backyard. Wow. So one fire was all the things that he loved, and he loved yoga, and he loved painting, and so they threw the paintbrushes and the paint and the yoga mats into the fire. Everything went into the oh, fire. Oh, wow. The next fire was all the foods that he liked, and they threw hamburgers and wow. whatever he ate. Everything went into the fire, That's all his awesome. favorite That's foods. really cool. And then the next fire was the fire that he went into. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. It was really sad. That's a That's a pretty cool yeah. tradition, actually. Yeah. That's a really I mean, great tradition. You know, the whole thing now is whether we can create our own funerals. And there's a movement in not only creating your own burials, and there are certain um, burial grounds now where you can do a green burial. Yeah. But there's ones where you can have not only your own funerals, but the you don't have to go to funeral homes. And actually, mm-hmm. I have a friend and somebody you know uh, who's a nurse practitioner, and she's been part of this movement of creating your own funerals. Yeah. That's amazing. That's yeah. incredible. The idea of a funeral home is, Ugh. is, uh, Ugh. yeah. Oh man. It's, they're, it's dark. They're really, they're, they're dark. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah. I mean, Carol gardens, I mean, there was a, uh, up until a few years ago, there was a lot of funeral homes. A lot homes. of funeral homes. I wonder what happened, like if they got consolidated. Well, I, by... I think all the old neighborhood Italians are, we're getting older and, yeah. you know, now it's a yuppie neighborhood. Yeah, and, that's true. And, and nobody ever dies. You know, <laughs> I'm, we're waiting for like Riverside Memorial Chapels to open, a, yeah. a, you know, a Jewish one in the neighborhood. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, um, I have a question, Peter, and this an is about bagels. Okay. And one thing that you were talking about, and uh, mom, you wrote this down in your notes about the Shiva's bagels and how it represents kind of like an Ouroboro almost like the circle of life, the endings and beginnings together. Is that true of bagels? Wow. I, I never considered it. Um, but I, I'm, I'm sure that you could make a really good argument for that to be true. Yeah. Um, I was, I, I did a show of uh, episode of life's bank once on bagels. And I remember that being a thing that they were talking about. Um, what about the hole? What's that all about? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, it's the hole in your heart. <laughs> I think the hole is so they could carry them on a stick back I, in the day. It might, it very yeah. well, it probably is that. Yeah. And, uh, since they don't do that anymore, there is rarely a hole in bagels anymore. Yeah, that's true. Um, do we, you know the we, origin of bagels? Um, it's interesting. They, I, it's a, there are Syrian bagels, um, and there are Israeli bagels. Yeah. Um, you know, it was brought to the United States by Eastern European immigrants. Yeah. Polish, um, I think. So, I mean, we, you know, Polish definitely brought the Bialy. Mm. Um, and which, the funk. And, you know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you should know this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Bialy guy, personally. Uh, oh, I, I, I love a Bialy. I, will, yeah. I would rather eat a Bialy yeah. any day of the week instead of a bagel. I like a Bialy. Okay. I mean, I love a Bialy. I don't know if I'd rather eat it than a bagel. That being said, I never eat bagels. I'd rather smoke salmon on a Bialy. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good question. Now let's get into this. This is really what I'm interested in knowing. What is, of all the bagels that you make, all your delicious bagel combinations, really you have everybody's dream, or at least everyone in this room's dream, at your disposal, at your fingertips. You can make the most delicious bagel combination at any moment of the day. What do you What do? You do? Um, wow. Uh... That's a tough call. I mean, if it's on a bagel, mm-hmm. if it's on a bagel, I'm a classicist. I love a sesame bagel with cream cheese and. What kind of cream cheese? 
a plain. Okay. I love a, a, a sesame bagel with plain, not toasted, because mm-hmm. a bagel should not be toasted. I, oh, no, don't say I that. completely agree. A toasted bagel has uh, no the, place the, in my life. The defining, <laughs> the defining characteristic, the defining feature of a bagel is the competing texture between the crust on the outside and a dense, chewy interior. I completely interior. agree. And when you toast it, you're... you're adding another layer of crust that's not supposed to be there and you're softening it. A bagel shouldn't be soft. A a New York City bagel is 450 calories before you put anything on it. That's a lot. You better damn well start burning those calories just by (laughs) masticating. So it's got to be chewy. Um, um, But uh, I'd say, uh, let's, uh, I can only use my my shop as an example. My favorite combination of things, it's funny, I have a sandwich named after myself. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, something that I used to create when I was an 11-year-old kid. I would I would put it was a, a virtually burnt bialy because bialy should okay, be okay 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 like a carbonized bialy scallion cream cheese mm. nova a slice of sable and pickled uh, herring with uh, cream sauce and onions oh my goodness yeah. it's a little much like yeah. as an adult I taste it and I'm like uh, I mean it's really good but it's it's good. It's, a, it's, a, it's a lot going on on there um, my my favorite thing I think right now we have a sandwich we call the Great Gatsby. Ooh. Um, it's not on a bagel. We serve it on caraway seeded rye. Yum. Hence the name, the Gatsby, mm-hmm. the, ref, the literary reference. Love it. Um, and it's pastrami smoked salmon with horseradish cream cheese, honey mustard, and red onion. <gasps> Did you bring a, one in your pocket? It's, <laughs> it's such a it's such a dope sandwich. I love that. I love it so Ooh, much. Oh, that sounds good. That's amazing. I'm someone who likes white fish with mm-hmm. scallion cream cheese. I realize that's a lot of, um, of mush. mush. Uh, tomato. Red onion for a little bit of a crunch and like a pickle. Like you have those delicious pickles there at the shop. Those pickled we cucumbers do. or whatever the, the, the cucumber salad, yeah. The cucumber salad, which That's I That's a good combination. I like that. Next time you get it, you should ask for some of the fried, the crispy fried onions that we have. Because <gasps> we put those on other sandwiches fried and onions. they're like the ones from Chinatown, you know, oh, in, the, no. in the jar. Yeah. yeah. That sounds good. That would make that sandwich less mushy. Oh, yum. Crunch, um, crunch. Well, this is making me feel less depressed. I was I know. depressed no, when I really. came in and I'm. Oh, you know, the, the other thing we didn't talk about and I, that's my Please. fault I neglected to mention um, there are those people that don't want to do fish at their shiva oh, so yeah. they're so like I'm all about the pastrami corned beef and tongue okay um, so okay. we do quite a bit of that as well nice. um, it should be good for a crowd easy to serve easy, easy to, to serve cut the, cut everything yeah. in quarters yeah. Yeah. Um, that's awesome I, I prefer not to offer people pastrami for that just because the pastrami is so well marbled yeah. and the sandwiches in that way will be cold and yeah, cold yeah. fat is kind of meh. Yeah. Um, but the corned beef is, is certainly more lean awesome. and tongue is great either hot oh or God. cold. I love tongue. I'm a, I'm a big, when I was a, a kid and I would go on a field trip, my yeah. mother would ask me what I wanted for a packed lunch and I'd be like a tongue sandwich and a celery. Yeah, wow. That's like, very Jewish. Who are you? What are you, like an 80-year-old Jewish man? Why do you like celery and tongue? That's hilarious. Um, and now I have an 8-year-old who absolutely loves tongue sandwiches. That's awesome. Which is awesome. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, this was a great episode, you guys, and I want to just wrap it up by telling you my experience at Scotto's Funeral Home. Oh, I I've can't wait. I've wanted to hear this. And I'm... <laughs> So I, when I decided I was going to tell you, I was like, I'm going to save this for the very end. This is awesome. Um, so Brucey was up the road. My former restaurant was up the road from Scotto's Funeral Home. And I'd often need to go get things notarized. You know, you find yourself in terrible trouble all the time or like needing to just a notary immediately. I notarized something yesterday. Right. 
So the notary, the closest one, was at Scotto's funeral. <laughs> and it was the undertaker's son who was the notary. And that place was a classic, I mean, ripped out of, like, the most classic, amazing, Italian-American, gaudy, everything from the... It was really a cool place. And I'm terribly sad that it's not there anymore because it was really a treasure of the neighborhood. Uh, And the family that owned it was the most classic Italian-American people. The the father was, like, a Joe Pesci type. And they had this big, giant guy who worked there as the driver of the hearse who was, like, you know, so huge and just really nice and friendly. And the son was the undertaker. And he was probably about 50 or something like that. So the first time I go in there, I'm, I'm in there and I'm poking around. I go, hello? Hello? Is anyone here? And I poke him looking downstairs and you can see the light shining from where they do the embalming. And I go, hello? I'm here for to get something notarized. And this man walks upstairs and he's wearing a tank top and Tasmanian devil uh, pajama pants. Oh my God. And he's covered completely all over in Grim Reaper tattoos. <laughs> Oh my God! Really? Yes, covered in Grim Reaper <laughs> tattoos, and it's just That's me fantastic. and him. Super nice guy. He's the Undertaker. He obviously likes to undertake and embalm bodies in Tasmanian. Tasmanian. Did he smell like formaldehyde? Absolutely. He was lovely. I can't say as many nice things about him, but he was covered in Grim Reaper tattoos, which Whoa. is shocking to see on anybody, especially someone who's yeah. just hanging out with a bunch of you know dead old Italian folks from the block. God knows. Wow. Yeah. Well, incidentally, if any listeners are curious as to what this building we're describing looks like, it is Martha's apartment building in the Americans in season in the first couple oh, seasons totally. of the Americans. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's really amazing. <laughs> That's the outside of the building. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's a really, that is true. It's a crazy place. My wife works in that building now. She does? She does. Oh, my God. She does. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, well, this was a great episode, and it was so fun, it and thank you for your insight on, you know, Jewish food and Jewish cooking and please uh, is there where can we follow you on um, Instagram um, you, whatever it's, it's uh, Shelsky's it's Shelsky's okay. on Instagram it's Shelsky underscore S actually okay. on cool. Instagram awesome and tell us a little bit about just quickly about the bagel shop is on 4th Avenue the bagel shop is on the Park Slope side of 4th Avenue okay um, and the, on the corner of 10th Street cool. and uh, you can get there on the F or G train awesome. um, or the R train and uh, yeah come have a Szechuan peppercorn bagel Ooh. Um, that sounds so good. It's, you know. That sounds delicious. Um, I just want to say I'm a huge fan of everything you do. I think that uh, it takes such attention to detail to run an appetizing shop. Everything's perishable and everything has to be perfect and everything, you know, it's a big deal. Like I have a lot of respect for people who work with fish, butchers, you know, cheesemongers, stuff like that. But your shop is amazing. I've loved it since the Thank second you. it opened. It's so cool. Please, everybody... Make sure to get there, whether you're, you know, host, having a shiva, going to or, a shiva. Or a bris. We do beginning of life, you know, oh. snip 20% of your kid's dick off and you eat lox. You eat the same thing at the beginning at the end. So, And at the middle for the bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. Exactly. So. It's applicable in any situation. Really. Exactly. Who doesn't love lox? Okay. Am I right, and ladies? We're, and we're going into caviar season. I'd be, I'd oh, be you know, that's amazing. So. Cool, cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, obviously we'll be stopping by really soon. And thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Was it was my pleasure. Thanks, Thanks for having Peter. me, ladies. Take care. It was Thanks, so much Peter. fun. All right, guys. So we hope that you enjoyed that episode with Peter. I really had a, actually a really good time. I mean, I have a good time in all our interviews, but this one had a lightheartedness to it yeah, that, it did. you know, some of the other episodes don't for obvious reasons. Um, you know, I really had a great time. Yes, yeah, a great time talking about a serious subject. Yeah, it was wonderful. Um, so we talked about Shiva. 
One of the most popular things that you're going to find at any Shiva is going to be bagels and locks. Am I correct? Now, I just wanted to do a really quick uh, history of the bagel. Mm. Um, It's kind of, you know, we don't know exactly where it came from. There's a couple of ideas, and it definitely evolved over, you know, thousands of years, honestly. Some people say uh, they they were on the Silk Road in China. Um, A lot of people believe that they kind of turned up in Poland in the 1600s. I did a whole episode on my other show, Life's Mm. a Banquet, about bagels and locks. If if Mm. anyone wants to know more, you can go reference that. Um, But I'm just going to read a couple of things that I thought were fun. So Ed Levine for the New York Times says in an article, a ba- quote, a bagel is a round bread made of simple, elegant ingredients, high gluten flour, salt, water, yeast, and malt. Its dough is boiled, then baked, <clears throat> and the result should be a rich caramel color. It should not be a pale or blonde. A bagel should weigh about four ounces or less and should make a slight crackling sound when you bite into it. And as Peter said in the show, never toast it, which mm. I disagreed with. Never toasted. A fresh, nice bagel. I mean, I do understand the appeal of the toasting. However, this is where toasting goes down for me. I don't like a melted cream cheese. Mm, melted cream cheese. No. I mean, you know what? I shouldn't say I don't like it. I basically like everything. But if I was to right. craft my perfect bagel eating experience, it would be an untoasted with cream cheese that remained firm. And not too, too much of it. I don't like when you have to squeeze it off, you know. <laughs> Anyway, I was going to ask you at the end of this what your paper bagel type is. Um, So then I read this article in The Atlantic that was a very deep dive into the history of uh, bagels. And I'm just going to pretty much quote what they said. Quote, Poland, uh, in Poland, there's a, as the theory goes, the German breads morphed into a round roll with a hole in the middle that came to be known in Poland as an, please excuse my pronunciation, butchering of this, an obwarzenek. Written records of them appear as early as the 14th century. Other versions date to the first bagels to the late 17th century in Austria, saying that bagels were invented in 1683 by a Viennese baker trying to pay tribute to the king of Poland. Given that the king was famous for his love of horses, the baker decided to shape the dough into a circle that looked like a stirrup or beugel, B-E-U-G-E-L in German. Uh. The bagel, as a Jewish food, really came of age during the era of the Polish history known as the nobles' democracy. While intolerance and conflicted and conflict reigned elsewhere, Poland was probably permitted uh, as the country for tolerance, acceptance, and education, and understanding. Unlike almost every other country in Europe, Poles identified themselves as citizens of their country rather than any divisive framework based on religious ethnic or linguistic origins. The mindset created an environment where Jews were first allowed the opportunity to bake and then sell bread, of which bagels were an integral part. Interesting. Now, I don't know if you know this, but I have a lot of personal connection to bagels. Yes. In several different ways. Well, you told us the story about the bagel right. baker. But I'm going to tell you three different ways that I'm connected. Please. First of all, my husband Rob's cousin yes. moved from uh, New York here, where he loved bagels, and moved to Port Townsend, Washington, which is at the end, the edge of the furthest, furthest place in the Olympia coast. Wow. And he set up a bagel bakery. Oh, my gosh. And there was no other bagels in all of the area, and he would deliver them all around Washington. And so that's one way that I'm connected to bagels. Awesome. Other way is that my brother, who has passed uh, in some years, uh, was a bagel baker in Brooklyn during the 60s. And... He baked many bagels, and his father 
was the head of the bagel union That's in the amazing. 40s. Oh so, my gosh. Now, one thing that I want you to understand is that bagels are different in different states because of the water. Oh, I, that, is the, I don't, yes. that is a rumor. Yeah, and it's true. You're sure of it? Absolutely true. So people, when I lived in Florida, people would ask me to bring, when I went to New York, they'd ask me to bring bagels down to Florida. Yeah. Because the bagels are different in Florida. Yeah. They're not as good. Totally. It's the water. That's what they say about pizza and bagels. I, you know what? I think there's some people that say it's true and some people that say it isn't true. It makes sense to me. I'm going to go with it. What's your go-to bagel order? What's your dream bagel? Well, I was just actually reading in the Huffington Post today. They had a study on bagels and what are the favorite bagels in different states. Okay. Everything bagel is the favorite bagel. Yeah. It is my favorite bagel. Of course. Um, I now don't eat dairy, so I put chevre cheese on a bagel. Okay. And I love lox. Give me lox, lox, Yum. lox with some onions and some capers, and I'm a happy girl. That sounds delicious. Um, I'm going to put you on to something, though. One thing that can be better than the everything bagel is the everything pumpernickel bagel. Uh, it's a step up. It's crazy. Sounds great. Um, my go-to bagel order is an everything pumpernickel bagel, untoasted, with scallion cream cheese and whitefish salad, and tomato and onions, lots of dill, and some cucumbers. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm actually salivating. Me That's too. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that was a great interview. Uh, it was fun, it was informative, and it was great to, as always, to spend time with you. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Peter. Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at Processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.